Well, good morning, everyone. Please take your Bibles and turn to John's Gospel, John chapter 4. We're in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John chapter 4 for our study today. It's a very famous passage as we come to the passage on the woman at the well. Starting in verse 1 for our reading today of John chapter 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sechar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who, who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, Oh, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, well, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. Well, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Well, when I met her several years ago, she was a student of mine at Cornerstone University through the Professional and Graduate Studies program. What struck me the most at first was 
the incredible theological responses she was writing on her essays. Where did she get such impeccable theology, I wondered. As I got to know her, I found out that there was a lot more to her story. You see, not long before I met her, she had been a stripper at nightclubs, incredibly promiscuous. She wrestled with alcohol abuse. As a matter of fact, when I met her, she was still on a tether, and she also still had a breathalyzer interlock ignition system on her car so she wouldn't drive while under the influence. On top of all that, she had already had four abortions and had recently had a hysterectomy on her doctor's advice since she kept getting pregnant and she kept terminating her pregnancies. As you can see, when I met her, she was already an incredibly broken person. She was an incredibly broken woman. She was so incredibly thirsty for the things of God. As we'll see in our study today, we need to be ready for God's divine appointments, being all things to all people, offering living water to thirsty souls, finding ways to touch the hearts and lives of others, helping others to worship God in spirit and truth. We need to show others who Jesus is by doing everything that God has called us to do. Our message series is That You May Believe. Today's focus is on Jesus Christ, who is, in fact, the living water. We've been studying the Gospel of John, written by John, perhaps the very best friend of Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry. John's purpose in writing his Gospel account is expressed in John 20, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's take a look at where we are. Here's our map. We were down south towards Jerusalem. That's where we met with Nicodemus not too long ago. But now he's going to move northward. It says he had to pass through Samaria to get all the way up to the little Sea of Galilee there to the north. So that's where we are on our map. And today I have seven spiritual principles that all of us need to apply to our lives as we find refreshment from Jesus himself, who is indeed the living water. But before we study, would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we approach your word, we recognize how much we need help from you today. Lord, we need your help to understand these things. And Lord, with the understanding to be able to apply these truths rightly to our lives, oh God, help us. Help us to not just sit through another service, but to engage, to plug in, to think with our minds, to hear what you have to say to be led by your spirit. So Lord, thank you for this moment. Help us not to miss anything that you might have for us this day. We pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth from this passage I want to share with you. Beloved, we need to be ready for God's divine appointments. We need to be ready for God's divine appointments. As we just read, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea, he's down in the south, and he departed again for Galilee. And he, it says, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. 
You see, Jesus knew that the Pharisees were already on to him. The Pharisees knew that Jesus' ministry was growing, so he distanced himself from Judea and he went northward. The text said he had to pass through Samaria, perhaps to avoid John's ministry, John the Baptist, that is, on the north end of the Jordan, but ultimately for an apparent divine appointment with a woman at Jacob's well. By the way, there were other ways to go to Galilee. He, he could have traveled up the Jordan River Valley, as we saw on the map, which was likely the easiest way to go. He could have traveled along the way of the Mediterranean Sea and gone around through the top. But the text says that he had to pass through Samaria. And I just want to go, well, why? Why did he have to go there? Because apparently he had a divine appointment with a woman. He was to meet at Jacob's well. I'd like to remind you that all of life is an apparent divine appointment. There are no real coinkadinks out there, no coincidences. R.C. Sproul in his book entitled, Not a Chance. <laughs> There's not a chance going on out there in our lives. At the same time, notice Jesus' humanity. He's been on a long journey traveling in the hill country of Samaria. He's tired, he's thirsty. It's about the sixth hour, it's around noon, it's getting up to the heat of the day. But I want to ask you, are you ready for God's divine appointments? Peter reminds us, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. This is Peter's advice Whenever we're going to talk to people about our faith and about Christ, we need to do so with gentleness and respect. As we look at this passage, for a moment, it doesn't seem that Jesus is being very gentle or very, or very respectful, but we're going to see that he's precisely that in just a moment. Even this morning, we need to recognize that you're here by divine appointment. No one is here by accident. You're here by God's grace. Beloved, we need to be ready for God's divine appointments. But secondly, we need to be all things to all people. Verse 7 says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, oh, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Parenthetically, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Samaritans. Who were these people? Seen by the Jews generally as half-breed remnant tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim, descendants of Joseph, that had interbred with the local indigenous population here. Here we see that Jesus crosses cultural barriers to touch the heart of this woman. Not only that, he crosses gender barriers because in this culture, a male wouldn't just talk to a woman either. So two areas, he's bending barriers, cultural barriers and gender barriers. And the woman noticed the novelty of Jesus' interaction because she knew that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Why are you talking to me, she says. And I ask you, are you breaking down cultural barriers to share the gospel of Christ? Do you have opportunities to do so? Galatians 3.28, Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's no distinctions. We should be able to talk to anybody and everybody about the gospel of Christ. 
Paul adds in 1 Corinthians 9.19, don't miss this, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, Paul says, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Years ago, Kathy and I moved back from Europe, having served there for almost three years. I ended up at a church in Angola, Indiana. Now, this church in Angola, known as Sunlight Community Church, wonderful place, but you need to understand what I was dealing with. In Europe, when I would go to church at the International Baptist Church of Budapest, and I would pastor there, I would uh, wear some dress slacks and a nice button-down shirt and, uh, and no tie, and I was kind of dressed down there because other people were still wearing ties and coats and things of that nature. But for me, I get pretty excited preaching. I get hot, so I, you know, the coat, I just can't deal with it. And there was no air conditioning in the building, so I'm not wearing a coat. Just not going to do it. Uh, it'll be a big, sweaty mess. So I come back to the United States, and now I'm in Angola, Indiana at this church. And I wear the exact same thing. I'm, I'm thinking I'm casual, nice, you know, dress slacks, nice button-down shirt. And I get in there, and I'm realizing I'm dealing with a different culture. And actually, I was a slow burn on a thing. It took me about a year to figure this out. Because you have to, I don't know if you knew this, in Steuben County, that, that's that, not Steuben County, Steuben, in Steuben County, that northeast corner of Indiana, do you realize there's over 100 lakes in that county? So everybody comes to church, what are they doing right after church? Going to the lake. They're coming in the shorts, jeans, cutoffs, lake clothes, right? That's, what they're, that's how they're coming. And here I am wearing my nice slacks and a button-down shirt, and people are like, what are you all dressed up for, pastor? And so I, one day, I'm in the, in the lobby with Kathy as people are leaving, and I said, to, I said Kathy, we got to go shopping. i got to get some different clothes here because I... I I'm not being all things to all people. So we went out and bought some jeans and some shirts and, you know, some cool jeans, whatever. I didn't do the tight ones. I, didn't, I, was, a, I was not a tight jean guy. That's not my thing. But so I bought some jeans and some shirts. And, and the next Sunday I show up and people are coming up to me going, Pastor, have you lost weight? <laughs> Apparently dress clothes make me look puffy. I don't know what that's about. But I needed to be all things to all people so I could relate to this group of people, right? It's important. We, all of us, need to be all things to all people. But thirdly, we need to offer living water to thirsty souls. There are those around us who are dying of thirst. Notice what Jesus says in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? What's the answer to that? Yeah. 
He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus says to her, well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, what's this gal's problem? What is she not getting here? She's not really following what Jesus is saying. Remember Nicodemus? Jesus said, you need to be born again. And Nick's like, I don't think I can climb up there and come out again. I don't think that's how that works. No, I'm talking to you about spiritual things, Nick. Not looking at you, Nick, Nicodemus. (laughs) Same thing here with this woman at the well. She's thinking, boy, I'd love not to have to come here and draw water. Is there some water source somewhere I don't know about? She's thinking about physical water. And Jesus is speaking to her about spiritual things. Several observations here. You can't get living water through physical means, according to verse 10 and 11. Secondly, even though this is Jacob's well, this physical water will leave you ultimately thirsty, Jesus is saying according to verses 12 through 13. According to verse 14, the living water that Jesus is talking about will ultimately be that which quenches your thirst. Lastly, living water brings eternal life. These are spiritual things. I'd like to submit to you that everybody in this room is longing for this kind of water. We're all longing for our thirst to be quenched. I would submit to you the whole world is longing for this kind of water, a real water that really quenches our thirst about those deep-seated things that we're longing for. Beloved, you can't find it in this world. It's not in this world. It's out of this world. It's in Christ. Notice the woman's response in verse 15. Sir, give me this water. You got some of that, I'll take it. I ask you, what are you longing for? What will ultimately really satisfy you? Are you drinking living water or something else that will not satisfy? Isn't it ridiculous how often we try things? I'm going to try to find satisfaction in that, and it doesn't cut it, does it? No, we put all our hopes into something, some hobby, some interest, something provocative, and we find it doesn't satisfy. Why? Because it can't. The flesh can't ultimately satisfy. God knows this. This is how he made us. What are you longing for? Is your thirst being quenched? At the same time, there are those around you who are thirsty. Are you out to quench their thirst with living water? Are you quenching the thirst of others with what you are offering them? Are you offering truly something spiritual that will fill them up? Or are you just merely offering human advice or pop psychology? Or are you offering the living Christ? Christ is the living water. As people come to my office for counsel and advice from time to time, the reality is I absolutely have nothing to offer them. I really don't. I don't have anything to give them other than the living water of Christ. That's all I got. And that's all they're going to get. Fourthly, this morning, beloved, we need to find ways to touch the hearts and lives of others. And this is where this conversation gets really intense. I don't want you to miss this. 
In verse 16, it seems out of the blue, Jesus says to her, well, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, well, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. When we hear this, we're like, boy, Jesus, this isn't very nice. Let's go around, is this what Christians should do? Go around pointing out how wrong everybody is and what their problems are? Like, well, you're doing it wrong. Is that what's going on here? Notice Jesus' peculiar way of touching this woman's heart. At first, it seems that Jesus is being incredibly insensitive. But remember, I'd like to remind you what's going on in the conversation. I'm a student of people, and I'm constantly watching how people interact with each other. Notice how this woman interacts with Jesus. At any time, based on the barriers that are already pushed on, she could just say, hey, talk to the hand. I am out of here. I'm not talking to you anymore. You're hurtful. You're a mean person. But that's not what's happened. She continues the conversation. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. So whatever Jesus said here engaged her for further conversation and didn't push her away, even though he's pushing on cultural barriers and gender barriers. So what's going on here? She could have easily walked away, but apparently she's not offended. So how did Jesus bring up such a touchy subject without being offensive? Remember what I said to you about Paul's words with patience and gentleness. I believe the conversation went more like this as he spoke to her from his heart. Somehow Jesus touches her heart in a very compelling way, and at the same time, she was very willing to continue the conversation. Jesus says in verse 16, go call your husband. That doesn't seem too harsh, a question. Well, why don't you go get your husband? In verse 17, she says, well, I have no husband. It's the next verse that we go, boy, boy, Jesus, why are you pushing on that? You're kind of being harsh. Let me suggest this is how it might have been said. Again, we lose the conversation. We're, 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 we're reading through the lens of a translation. This was originally in Greek, spoken in the Aramaic, and somehow we're supposed to understand the context of what happened here. We've got a little ways to go to get at this. So what, how might he have said these words? You know, you're right. You've never had anyone ever con- commit themselves to you, have you? Even the man you're with now, he won't commit himself to you, will he? What you said is true. Do you think that might have touched your heart? I think so. Why? Well, to be a woman in this culture who has no husband, no man, no father, no brother, no husband, is really to have nothing and to be consigned to destitution. It's no wonder she comes to the well at midday Remember, she came at noon. All the other women would have come early in the morning to get the water. She's coming at midday. Why? Because I don't want to be the scorn of gossip with all these other ladies. I'm going to come by myself. Nobody will be here. Oh, who's this guy? It's Jesus. Jesus amazingly speaks to her. And in doing so, he speaks to her deepest need. You don't have a place, do you? No one has ever claimed you, have they? And in the process, he touches her heart in an amazing way. Later, she proclaims to the townspeople in verse 29, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. 
He knows everything about me. He knows my greatest need. Jesus knows all the things that you've ever done. He knows your frailties. He knows your vulnerabilities, your inadequacies, your inconsistencies, your insecurities. Jesus is able to touch her heart because he knows her need. He knows what you need as well. He knows what you're longing for. He knows where you are broken and hurting. We too need to listen to others so we can know their needs. We need to listen so that we can come alongside them and offer them living water. Maybe we need to listen way more than we talk. We need to find ways to touch the hearts of people. But fifthly today, we need to help others to worship God in spirit and truth. Is at this moment in verse 19, she says, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus says to her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, Jesus says, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Beloved, there are all kinds of false religions out there, along with false religious practices, things that appear on the outside as religious or spiritual, but in the end they are empty and void of any real meaning or spiritual significance. God is just not longing for external commitment or feigned religiosity all he has ever wanted from us is our hearts. Psalm 51, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it, the psalmist writes. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you'll not despise. The psalmist goes on in Psalm 34, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Psalm 145:18. the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. I can just imagine this woman has been crying out to God for help with her situation for years, perhaps. And here's the Lord who's now near to her in a way that she could never imagine. I ask you, where are you hurting today? Are you here today to worship him in spirit and truth? Of course, the alternative is to just go through the motions of worship, having never given your heart to him. He's near to the brokenhearted. At the same time, we are finding help for our hearts. We need to do all we can to help others worship in spirit and truth. And Jesus did just that. But sixthly here, we need to show others who Jesus is. In verse 25, the woman said to him, well, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. She was hopeful, even though she wasn't a Jew as a Samaritan. She's like, you know, I know the promise of a redeemer. And then Jesus says this incredible thing. In verse 26, I who speak to you am he. That's an Oppenheimer moment right there. Nuclear explosion. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled what he was talking with the woman. 
And no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? See, his disciples were like, dude, you're kind of going across the gender barrier there, pal. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Notice how Jesus tells her who he is. I who speak to you am he. This is a huge bombshell. She then immediately goes and tells her people who she has met. Has God impacted your life to that degree that you can't wait to tell people about him? Oh, I hope so. She was so convincing and compelling that the whole city is now coming out to see Jesus. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed, it doesn't appear that anybody ever got any water, right? Did you see that? But lastly, don't miss this today, this last thought. As we show others who Jesus is, we need to do what God has called us to do. We need to do what God has called us to do. First of all, here, walking in his will. Look what happens. This, by the way, the Gospel of John, there's a lot of humor throughout this text, uh, throughout the whole Gospel. Can someone help with the blinky, blinky thing? That'd be great. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe somebody's broker's calling. I don't know. <laughs> somebody could help with that. That'd be great. It just seems when we have an important message, we've got a distraction. Ugh. Lord, we need some help here. Seventh, we need to do what God has called us to do. First of all, walking in his will. Notice what happens here. This is incredible, and this is, there's some incredible humor here. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. So imagine so these guys show up. He's talking to a woman. They've just been out to go get some groceries, right? I don't know. I don't know what, if they went to Meyer or Walmart. I don't know where they went. So they, they go and they, they bring groceries back. And so and he, what are you talking to this woman for? And, and uh, hey, you want something to eat? And he says, I've, I've, I'm, I've already eaten. Huh? What do you, what do you mean? Did, did you slip him a burger? Did somebody else get him a sandwich? You know, what happened here? What do you mean? You got, I don't get it. Has anyone brought him something to eat? Verse 33, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. You know, that should be our will. We should be determined to be about what God has called us to do. Being about what he would will for us. Jesus is out to do the will of God. We should do the same. Doing what? Accomplishing his work. Notice what it says. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus is on mission. He's not there just for lunch or for water for that matter. He's on mission. And you go, well, I understand he wants to reach that woman. It's not just the woman he's trying to reach. He's trying to reach these guys too. And watch how he does it. It's amazing. Beloved, we need to be about accomplishing his work, doing all we can to do so. Paul reminded Timothy, a young pastoral protege in 2 Timothy 4, it won't be on the screen, but listen closely. Paul, with great vehemence and, and great intent, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, Timothy, 
who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing at his kingdom. Preach the word, Tim. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. There, that, there it is again, that patience piece, that kindness, that gentleness idea. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Isn't that what's going on in our country right now? And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. That is, preach the gospel, Tim. Fulfill your ministry, Tim. Beloved, we need to be about his will, walking in his will, accomplishing his work, just as Jesus was about doing that. But thirdly, don't miss this. Paying attention to what's going on. (laughs) Verse 35. Jesus says, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Can you imagine these guys listening to this? We were just talking about lunch. What are you talking, what? Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Can you imagine these guys looking around like, why are we talking about crops and harvest? We were talking about, did you get him a sandwich? This is what we were talking about, and now what, what is going, what, harvest, what? They don't know, they don't get it. They don't see what's going on. What is going on? What is Jesus talking about? Lift up your eyes, guys. See that the fields are ripe, white for harvest. What's happening as Jesus is talking to his guys? There's a bunch of people from the town who are now coming across the field. They're coming. Pay attention, guys. See what God's doing here? Pay attention to what's going on. But fourthly, embracing our ministry role. He continues with this discussion. You can just imagine these guys are still wondering, why is he talking to us about this? Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the... That sower and reaper may rejoice together, for here the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. And you can imagine these guys like, what is he talking about, man? Why are we talking about laboring, about harvest and sowing? Where do all these people come from? Here they come. Here at our church, we have different people doing different roles. There are cultivators. Who are cultivators? Cultivators are the kind of people who break up the hard ground of lives of people by way of relationship, showing gentleness and kindness and care. Are you that kind of person? Are you a cultivator? You like to cultivate relationships and friendships? Then you've got sowers, planters, if you will, There are those who will take the seed of truth of God's word and and drop it in the soil at the right time. Then there's reapers, those who gather the harvest. Beloved, we need to do what God has called us to do, embracing our ministry role, paying attention to what's going on as God brings people to us, accomplishing his work by his sheer grace, walking in his will. And lastly here, believing that Jesus is the Savior of the world. 
In verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I'd ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Two days with Jesus, how cool is that? And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, you know, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is called ministry multiplication. We had outreach. We had people come to Christ, and now they're taking it as their own. Jesus is the Savior. Beloved, we need to do what God has called us to do, embracing our ministry roles, believing that he is the Savior of the world, paying attention to what's going on, accomplishing his work, walking in his will. I'd like to remind you that this week, are you paying attention? There's a castle behind me. Did you notice it? It's not there for no reason. Because there's going to be well over 50 kids coming in here this week to hear the gospel. You want to come help us cultivate? You want to help us come sow and reap? We need your help. My friend that I mentioned at the beginning of her service, she eventually started attending our church and her faith continued to grow even with all that she had gone through. She even started playing bass guitar in our praise band. And one day she approached me and asked if I would perform a memorial service for her four lost children. I told her that I would be honored to help her. So we gathered at a local cemetery where there was a memorial stone for the unborn. And we had a small memorial service with several of her friends along with Kathy and I. You can imagine the intense emotions of that day as she wept over her loss. So how had my friend become such an incredible theologian with all that she had been through? You see, when you have nowhere else to turn to find drink for your soul, Jesus becomes the one that you long for the most. He is the only one who can ultimately satisfy. Only he can quench all that you're thirsty for. My friend continued her studies at Cornerstone University and eventually transferred to Western Michigan University where she received a bachelor's degree in Greek and Latin studies. She then began her master's work at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago where she continued her Greek studies along with the study of biblical archaeology. A few years later, as God's providence would have it, her vehicle was hit by a drunk driver and she almost lost her life. And she is now permanently disabled and confined to her bed and wheelchair on palliative care. But know for certain that she still loves her Savior and she's embraced her new role as a prayer warrior. She would love so much to be here to worship with us. But know for certain that even now this morning she's praying for all of you today in this worship service. Beloved, we need to be ready for God's divine appointments being all things to all people, offering living water to thirsty souls, finding ways to touch hearts and lives of others, helping others to worship God in spirit and truth. We need to show others who Jesus is by doing everything that God has called us to do. 
walking in his will, accomplishing his work, paying attention to what is going on, embracing our ministry role and believing that Jesus is in fact the one who can quench our thirst because he is indeed the living water, the savior of the world. Would you please stand with me as we close our service? Heavenly Father, even as we reflect on this passage, uh, we recognize that none of us in this room, including myself, are worthy of these truths that you've given to us. Lord, we all admit our need that we're all thirsty. We're all longing for living water that we know only you can give us. Lord, help us to turn to you, to trust you with our lives and all things. But Lord, at the same time, we ask that you would help us to share the living water you've blessed us with, with others. That this place, Oakwood Bible Church, would be a place where we can quench the thirst of those who are so parched and dry in a broken world. Lord, we need your help to do that. Lord, we acknowledge that you are the Savior of the world. Help us to be about what you've called us to do. Help us to break up the hard ground in people's lives, people who are broken and hurting and don't want to let anybody in, but by grace, kindness, gentleness, patience and instruction, may we come alongside them and show them the wonder of who you are that there is a Savior, there is a Redeemer, and that all that we thirst for can be quenched in Christ. Lord, help us to take that thought with us. All that we thirst for can be quenched in Christ, in Christ alone. So Lord, thank you for the living water you've poured into our lives already. Lord, now help us to take that that bucket of, of water that's overflowing in us and go pour it, dump it on others. Lord, may they be soaked. Lord, I pray that that's the case this week as children come to hear the gospel message, that our people would just gush your living water on them, that people would walk away refreshed and encouraged, that children might know who you are. So Lord, we ask that you'd use us for your purposes, knowing that uh, perhaps this week we are going to encounter some divine appointments as we intend to be all things to all people, as we offer living water to thirsty souls, as we touch the hearts and lives of others drawing people to worship in spirit and truth. Oh, God, help us. Thank you, Lord, for attending to us. Thank you for this powerful passage. Thank you for my friend who continues to serve you even now in prayer. Bless her, we ask. Bless all of us as we go from this place. Thank you, Lord. And all God's people said,
Amen. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.